there were three ordinary women on what seemed like a simple mission to find a film they liked. One where women got something to do and not just look pretty or be murdered. Which, to be totally honest, has complicated matters a bit. Welcome to Flicking. Yes, it sounds a bit rude. That's the joke. Welcome to Flicking. As you know, we launched a new film podcast and then COVID-19 shut all the cinemas. So we decided to talk about our favourite films instead. And this week, it's over to Mick, who's going to be introducing slash explaining her choice. But first, as you all know, Jen's off on maternity leave. So we're joined this week by film reviewer and woman we've totally missed having on the show recently, Yosra Osman. Hello, Yosra. Hi, hello. It's good to be back. Good to have you. It is good to have you. Can I ask you as a genuine cinephile, how you feel about cinemas reopening? Are you excited to go back to them, given that they have air conditioning? Or (laughs) are you still a bit nervous about the idea of being out in public? I've got to say, I've really missed going to the cinema. There's something about being in that kind of enclosed, dark space, watching a film that you just can't beat when you're at home. And trust me, I've watched a lot of films when I've been at home in lockdown. But at the same time, I do wonder how it's going to be. How are they going to space people out? How is it going to work with this thing? I don't, I don't know. But I think because I have a monthly pass for my cinema of choice, let's say, that I go to, that means I can watch any films unlimited for quite a long time. And it's every, you know, I can just go whenever I want. And I think because it's right by my work, I'm going to start doing that again once once they are open but it'll just be interesting to see what the take-up is I think because there's still this sort of I don't know people are still a bit hesitant about going out and doing things but I do I do miss the cinema I've got to say there's something about it I miss it today because today is exactly the day I would go do you know what I'm going to go and see something at the cinema there'll be <laughs> nobody there and it will be cool in there air conditioning I'm a little bit different in that I don't like the cinema because people, but my favourite thing about the cinema when I do go is pick and mix sweets and they've been fucked off. So, like, there's no reason for me to go anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no more pick and mix sweets. I mean, they were clearly a hygiene hazard anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 especially with children I, around. I, I used to go after work and I didn't have dinner, so I'd always get the nachos. And you know, they've got the sort of cheese stuff that they slather on the top of it and the salsa I mean it's disgusting but oh so delicious but again I don't think they're going to be serving that in um next time I go so you know think of something else and with absolute love and respect to you you are one of the people that makes me not want to go to the cinema because that smell makes me feel so sick (laughs) (laughs) it is bad I do feel guilty you know amongst my sort of cinephile friends none of them really eat in the cinema you know, you're there to watch a film and you don't want to ruin the experience for other people, but I can't help it. Just, I'm hungry. If that's your only vice, Yasri, you're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Mick, do you want to talk us through your choice? Tell us what it is and why you chose it. Okay, so because... I'm not a sociopath. I don't just have one favourite film, which means I'm going to do a special shout out at the top to Ghostbusters, to Goodfellas, and for a very intense four month period after a breakup, Bridesmaids. As someone who takes comfort in the familiar, I reread books and I rewatch films, occasionally until the DVD wears out. So for this episode of Flicking, I watched my 
third copy of Jaws that I've ever owned because I've killed two. And I'm here wearing my bandana a la Quint. I mean, that's a lie. If I were a character in Jaws, I'd be the small child on the beach making a sandcastle and crying. <laughs> Which was basically me the first time I saw Jaws, but without the sand. Because that opening sequence with poor Susan Backlinny being dragged back and forth by an unseen underwater assailant is terrifyingly tremendous. You see nothing, and that makes it even scarier. It's iconic, as is the film, obviously. But just in case you have been living in a cave since the early 70s, here's the gist about the 1975 creature feature turned original summer blockbuster that made Steven Spielberg's name. So Amity Island is a beach town off the coast of New England, a close and indeed closed community where you'll never be considered an islander. An, an islander? That was a really weird emphasis. An <laughs> islander. <laughs> like Zoolander. <laughs> like Zoolander, yeah. An islander unless you were born there. Enter Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider, the new chief of police who's moved his family to Amity. As you know, Amity means friendship. From New York, away from all of the murder, but he clearly wasn't counting on a massive fish. No. Cue Jaws, a rogue great white having a lovely time with a smorgasbord of Amity swimmers laid out for him by a mayor more concerned with the town's economy than the, you know, not being eaten-ness of its population. Chief Brody calls in the help of oceanographer Matt Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfus, and professional shark hunter and indeed human rogue shark Quint Robert Shaw. And then the big four, Brody, Hooper, Shaw and Shark, come together for a last act that takes up nearly half of the film and is set entirely on the water that is basically a boy's own fishing trip. They're, they're chasing this beast that snarfs several Amity inhabitants, but with John Williams' jaunty tunes and the burgeoning camaraderie, there is this really this big sense of joyous adventure. Shark gets exploded and our two surviving heroes inexplicably swim all the way home. So before I wang on about why I love it, I would like to know your first memories of Jaws, please. When did you first see it, Yosra? Oh, Mickey, I'm a bit worried you're going to hate me, but I first saw Jaws about two days ago. <gasps> wow! Wow! That's amazing! I don't hate you. I'm intrigued. I've never, ever seen it before. I'll hold off on what I think of it, but I've, I've, it's one of those films that I know what the premise is, obviously. It's one of those things that you, you feel like you've seen even when you haven't seen it. So it was only when it came around to do this podcast I thought, I've got to sit and actually watch it. So, yeah, it's com- it was completely new to me. I think that's <sighs> a lot of people when I used to tell them, obviously, that I've not seen Jaws. Yeah, that is that is fascinating. It's like Jen's in the room. <laughs> She's <laughs> watched a lot of stuff that everyone else has watched too. Yeah, I like that you said, I, I know the premise, obviously, because obviously I could have just said, the premise is shock. Uh, and you would have <laughs> the gist of the film. Hannah, what about you? Are you in shock? Let's start with the big question. Are you in shock at Yosra's, I'm going to call it confession? <laughs> uh, well, no. I mean, Yosra is, although Jaws is a classic, I obviously saw it for the first time on television. And Yosra is, I would say, a good 15 years younger than me. So maybe missed out on the early hype of Jaws. And I had not seen Titanic until we did it on a podcast. And that is a film that everyone's considered as having seen. So I'm going to cut her some slack, but I am somewhat surprised. Yeah. Um, I I saw it on television. Um, My sister and I had our own bedrooms. So that would have been before my brother was born. So I would have been younger than nine the first time I saw it. Okay. And it absolutely terrified me. So much so that I insisted on sleeping in my sister's bed with her 
And also I slept against the wall and she slept on the outside so that if Jaws came up the stairs and into the room, he would attack Charlotte first and her screams would give me the opportunity to get out of the window, which is an incredibly selfish way of looking at it, considering she'd given up her bed or half her bed for me. (laughs) Yeah, genuinely terrified and perceived it as a horror film until I watched it again when I'd say I was probably at university when I watched it the second time. And yeah, we can discuss my thoughts on it. On it, that I, But then I realised it wasn't really a horror film, I think, at that point. But yeah, because was... my primary sense was fear, having watched it as a kid, I, that's, that's the kind of category I put it in. Yeah, I mean, what you've just said is, is really interesting and we'll get back to the, like how it's seen for sure. So let me tell you why I love it, and then you can either high-five me, Hannah, or shoot me down, I'm suspecting, Yosra. So uh, it's going to be an interesting one. So again, I'm similar to Hannah. As a child of the 70s, I watched Jaws a lot on the telly. It seemed to always be on the telly. And like every other kid of my era, including Hannah, I nursed a terrible fear that a great white would emerge from the plug hole and eat me in the bath, or breach the toilet water and eat me arse first, or, or indeed grow legs, climb the stairs and eat me in my bed. Jaws is actually the reason I didn't learn to swim until I was 10, because I was really scared of the water. Really? I think I, think I was seven when I first Aww. saw it. Thanks, Yosra. Um, <laughs> so part of why I love it is definitely that impact it had, even though it wasn't a, a, like a, a very positive impact. So there's that blend of fear and nostalgia. Then about 20 years later, so in my late 20s, a friend recommended the book Easy Riders Raging Bulls, which is written by Peter Biskind. And it's like this massive blistering romp through the 60s and 70s Hollywood. And it refreshed my obsession with Jaws because I loved the stories behind it. It is frankly a miracle the film ever got made. Mm. The filmmakers were just so taken with Peter Benchley's novel that they just went, yeah, 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 and had no idea what they were letting themselves in for. Filming started, as Richard Dreyfuss recalls, without a script, without a cast and without a shock. Uh, And it didn't really get much better as time went on. So now I get to do one of my favourite things, which is to share facts about the film Jaws. The mechanical shark was nicknamed Bruce and was a duff that sank the first time it was put in water because they'd spent a shit ton of money on it but forgot to waterproof it. Mm. Robert Shaw spent his time drunk, cantankerous and being flown in and out to avoid the taxman. And he and Richard Dreyfuss absolutely hated each other on site. These issues, I think, add something to the film to make the movie great. There's that knife-edge tension between Hooper and Quint, and you can feel it. There's loads of shit shark footage on the cutting room floor that meant Steven Spielberg used the camera as shark instead. And that's what gives us those long, glorious moments gliding through the ocean to John Williams's iconic score, which, fact fans... Spielberg thought was a joke the first time Williams played it to him. He absolutely hated it. Imagine Jaws without that music. I just don't, I don't think you can. And also at its heart, I think it's, there's loads of theories about what Jaws is really about, that it's not about a shark. But for me, it's a tale about outsiders. And I always felt like an outsider myself or have done for a lot of my life. But you've got the seafaring chief of police on an island he isn't from. You've got the posh boy shark expert who's best friends with his fancy toys. And the gnarled snappy shark hunter who's best friends with his booze. And then you've got the shark, just this rogue killing machine. The other thing that I love about it is the dialogue. Because it is funny. It is a funny film. It's got loads of quips really death strokes of character. There is not an ounce of fat on it. Even watching it again for the millionth time last night, I just said out loud, it's so lean. The film is so lean. 
And obviously the two-word reason to love Jaws, which I'm going to hand over to Hannah because she's got lots to say on this, is just simply quint speech. Yeah, quint speech is amazing. Uh, I used to know it off by heart. Um, yeah, it, me too. You know what, watching it, I had a feeling you'd, you'd be into that. I don't know why I thought, oh yeah, yeah but we end up talking about this on the podcast. <laughs> and actually, it's not 100% factually historically no. accurate, but it's not far off. I've watched a documentary about the Indianapolis and it's not far off what actually happened. And given that they were spread over such a wide area when the Indianapolis went down, it's not to say that what the people I saw being interviewed experienced was the same as the people that, that Quint is perhaps talking about experienced. Yeah. I mean, he, he talks about how they're regularly attacked by sharks. And what seems to be more the point is they basically pushed off their dead. When people died, they gave them to the sharks because that was just easier to... To, to do um and it's funny though because right at the start of all of this covid thing i had a really bad cold and i was still out circulating in the world and i, I had a cold and i looked ill but it was only a cold i knew it was cold but everybody kept looking at me and i kept thinking i'm like one of those people that was bleeding on the rafts of the indianapolis they're just gonna push <laughs> me in they just got that look in their eye when they're just gonna push me in the water they're gonna say just let the sharks have you just just let the sharks have you 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 look too dangerous but yeah, I mean, it's incredible. He tried to do that pissed. He thought the best thing to do would be to do it pissed. Tried it pissed at seven o'clock in the morning or something. And it was a disaster. So they did it again, obviously, in sober. And it worked. Dreyfus took a lot of coke at the time as well. And that stuff that you were saying about them being two sides of the coin, I feel like there's something about theirs that ones are like, I'm sure cokeheads don't especially get on the drinkers either. But I've gone off the topic now. <laughs> It's a three-minute masterclass, isn't it? I mean, yeah, Robert Shaw spent a lot of the time being very method when it came to Quint's drinking habits. He was yeah. like hammered on set all of the time and really held up filming. But I think they must have watched that back in the rushes and thought all of the shit we have put up with is worth it for that three yeah. minutes. That's what I think. Yosra, I think it's, it's maybe time for you to break my heart. I'm not going to break your heart, actually. Yes. I, I have to say, I... And trust me, I went in thinking I wasn't going to like it. I don't know why, it's just given me a, it gave me a vibe, I guess, or something like that, that I was just not going to enjoy it. And then, um, and also it's one of those films, because it's so famous, and we talked about John Williams' score and how that's so famous, that it's kind of been parodied. Yeah. But, so I was like, can I watch it seriously now? in this kind of day and age, knowing everything that I know about it and seeing as much as I've seen about it. And then in the end, I, there's a lot that I really, really appreciated about it. I thought that, you know, that the level of suspense was done really well. It's filmed. I love the underwater shots, you know, just people's legs in the water and you know something's about to go down. You know, there's a whole kind of drama there about how, you know, the authorities, they want to is open because it brings in business to Amity Island and that's really important. There were a lot of elements to it that I, you know, in my head I thought it's just going to be about this shark and it wasn't actually, there was more to it and I think getting that level of, of tension right and that sense of dread and again, knowing what I know and knowing the score 
um, it still really worked, which I think was the biggest surprise for me. I still kind of sat there tense, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And jumped a few times. I was going to say, did it make you jump? It did. And that's really not easy to do, I don't think. So um, no, I I hope I've I've pleased you because I actually enjoyed it. Hello there, listener. Jen here to ask you a little favour, if I may. If you're not doing so already, you can follow us on all of the social medias. Well, not all of them because we're old and we don't know what all of them do. But on Twitter, we are at Standard Issue UK. On Facebook, we are Standard Issue Magazine. And on Instagram, where it would be particularly helpful if you would follow us, we are at Standard Issue Podcast. Also on Twitter, you will find me at Inspira Jen, Mickey at Mixta Noonan and Hannah at That Dunleavy. Ah, go on, give us a follow. Can I ask you a question, Yosara? The line, we're going to need a bigger boat, which is obviously so enormously famous and is largely used now. It's used throughout popular culture, but largely used now as a kind of throwaway line, sort of in a sarcastic fashion. And what really struck me, and I hadn't noticed it before when I watched it this time, is that line gets used three times. He mentions getting a bigger boat. So it's kind of, the line has been taken out of context now of how it's actually used in the film so were you surprised when that line cropped up at all I think it just brought a chuckle out of me because I, I actually forgot that that line was from that film actually yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot and then it, it appeared and I, was, I, I, I don't know it was I was like oh that's the bit so again it just added to the experience of watching it as as a newbie it's interesting talking to someone who's only just watched it because re-watching it yesterday, there have been years when I've watched Jaws like 10 times in a year, like twice in a weekend because I just love it. And it, it means I can almost switch off, even though it still makes me quite tense as it is supposed to. But re-watching it with those packed beaches despite the danger and that bumbling prick more interested in capitalism than society, it feels very yeah. prescient of what's yeah. happening right now. I think Boris Johnson's a mix of the mayor and of Quint, but without the eloquence of the latter when it comes to speeches. Mm. Uh, Well, I mean, Quint has balls, doesn't he, as well? I mean, whatever you say about him. So I have this theory that Jaws is actually just about manhood. And that's why it becomes about the three of them on the boat at the end. It's like there's more than three kinds of men. But like there's the, the family man who's driven by that sort of responsibility. There's the sort of Quint represents the sort of romanticised idea of man, this idea that it's just him and the beast. He'd be quite happy if he was by himself. And Richard Dreyfus is kind of the man that's all talk and no action in yes. many ways, whereas Quint is the man of action. He represents the man of science in it, doesn't he? Yeah, he's also like the Peter Pan, I suppose. He's a boy who just wants to stay playing with his toys and the yeah. animals. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I did like the dynamic between all the characters. There's something about it that um, I just added a bit to the charm. And, and in, a, in, in a sense, all of them have really great things about them, but all of them have their faults. And it's quite apparent, particularly in that second half. And this is another thing that I was surprised by, the second half of the film, which was all about these three men in the boat trying to get the shark and... You know, there was a, there were levels that that I didn't expect, um, and 
it just I don't know I think this this is why I liked it because there were so many things that surprised me about it that I didn't really expect to see like I said I just expected it to be a shark eating people a bit like Piranha what you know the film Piranha 3D or something yeah ridiculous I thought it was just like that but with a shark and that's where Piranha came from I was so wrong so well, I- to be fair Yosra <laughs> that is where the other Jaws films went I mean yeah. the other Jaws films were mad and they yeah. did go into this kind of idea that it, it he's become like a sentient being, and yeah, they are bonkers. Yeah. Have you seen <laughs> Have you seen all the other Jaws films, Mick? I've seen up to three D. It's the one with the dolphins, right, and the big glass tunnels. The, the point about the fi- the fish, let's call him that, is that it, it to me, the unseen will always be more terrifying, which mm-hmm. is why Jaws kind of led the way in, I know it's not low budget, but I mean, it's not the budget that Steven Spielberg would get now if he was making that film. It's the way that something like the Blair Witch Project worked brilliantly because they never bothered showing what was menacing them. If they'd shown what was menacing them, it would have looked shit because they didn't have any money. So it just had to remain. So how little you see the shark and how how, like you say, you just get away with legs waving and legs being like just terrifying in themselves is just, yeah, to me, that is what's terrifying. And maybe that's what's terrifying because I watched Jaws at a young age and it laid that out for me. I don't know. Or maybe that's just what I find scary. That was a happy accident, though, because the plan was to show the shark. It was to have loads of the shark, Mm -hmm. but the shark sank. And the bits where it is like you can see its date, when, when the shark is the mechanical shark you can tell and I mean it doesn't take anything away from it for me but that's why they had to get so creative and I think that's where the score comes into its own that unseen threat is exactly what makes it scary you're right sorry Osri you were going to say something well I was just going to say the bit that's to me was quite the most sinister and most gruesome was when um was talking about how the shark had attacked the first lady that was attacked in the beginning. You know, he goes into the room to see the remains of the victim and mm-hmm. he talks about what happened, but you don't see you don't see the remains, you just hear how he's describing it. That sort of thing to me, that's actually quite that's that is dark and gruesome, and that really made me shudder. That was that was probably one of the most sinister bits for me in the whole film. So that there's a there's a knack to when you're creating horror or anything like that in terms of how you portray it and actually it's quite a skill to to bring that kind of sinister tension or or, or describe something really horrific without actually showing it on the camera absolutely there's a brilliant a brilliant bit in um not film but there's a brilliant bit in Chernobyl where Emily Watson has to go and look at someone who's basically whose face has melted off and they don't show the face because they don't need to show the face what they show is her face when she sees the face and that's enough that that's enough. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to imagine what she saw. I don't want to yeah. see what she saw. But I know she saw something repulsive. Yeah, and that's enough for me. Yeah, there's amazing cinematography in Jaws as well. I think it's so beautiful. There are certain scenes that like, I know they're coming because I've seen it so many times. But there's the one where it just pans and sets on his typewriter as he types in shark attack, which is brilliant. And then there's the one where he's sat on the beach and the camera is far away from from Chief Brody, from Roy Scheider. And then it, it shows something else out to sea. And then you're just, you come in a little bit closer to his reaction. And then you come in a bit closer to his reaction. And it's just so beautifully done that you're feeling the tension he's feeling. I'd like to know, Yosra, if it made you laugh, because I think it's a very funny film. Yeah, it did. It did make me laugh. Sometimes I've got to admit it was it was hearing the, the score and just laughing because 
of just what I knew about it, but also there are some there are some quite funny moments in it. So yeah, no, I I, I did laugh at it quite a few times actually. Um, I did also feel quite sad a few times as well. So it was a mixture of emotions the whole way through. What made you sad? The bit where um, I'm going to get all the names of the characters wrong, but the bit where the mother comes up to Brody and slaps him and says, "You knew about this woman that was attacked." a week ago and you didn't do anything about it I don't know why but that just that one bit I, th- I thought was quite moving so there's I don't know I, I, again another surprise just feeling a level of different emotion so yeah it's good what's stuff. interesting about that slap is that has to be the only record of a non-audible slap on film she slaps him but you don't hear anything you don't hear and a I was slap like, <laughs> and I was really surprised because you always hear a slap when people do that there's always someone's off screen making that noise for them isn't they smashing a, a lettuce or however it is that they do stuff like that there's more of a thunk because she she almost closed palms him she's like she gives yeah. him Miss, mrs kintner mother of alex gives him a proper whack but apparently they had to do that take about 17 times so you can see oh, that really? roy scheider's face is already a little bit red because he's <laughs> been slapped across the face <laughs> so many times <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a cool story about Mrs. Kintner. The the kid who played Alex went on to open a cafe in uh, Martha's Vineyard, which is where most of the shooting of Jaws took place. And on the menu was a, an Alex Kintner sandwich. I don't know what was in it, but yeah, you could buy an Alex Kintner sandwich. Oh wow! <laughs> Did it have teeth mark in it before you bought it? I fucking hope so, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. Teeth mark in it. I've been to Martha's Vineyard. Fun fact. Oh, have you? Um, yeah. There's loads of Jaws memorabilia around. Uh, it was pretty much closed when we were there because America has a very sort of fixed holiday season. So we were there before Memorial Day. So it was not very busy. So I didn't see any Jaws memorabilia, but they no doubt do. It's got to be said as well. On, on, obviously, there's a big push throughout Jaws to make sure everything is open for the 4th of July. And I just think Steven Spielberg knew I just think he knew what was going to happen here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weird, isn't it? It is it weird is. that there is an element of that, that suddenly you watch stuff and think, Ooh, I haven't considered that before. Yeah, but I think obviously with it being an unseen danger, I don't think anyone... Joshua, did you think that when you were watching it? Did it make you think of the current situation? It really did. It really, really did. I think um, it was quite pertinent, you know, in terms of human safety versus the economy, for example. Like things like that. I was like, oh, wow, that, that's, <laughs> that's quite relevant at the moment. And there's, there's a lot in there that I think you can take away now. And when was it made? 1975. Yeah. Gosh, 45 years ago. So, you know, it's it's just telling, I think. Yeah, I definitely thought, especially in the first half, that, that ran through my mind most of the time. Because it's interesting because you, the, the sort of the normal part of your brain, the reasonable part of your brain says, oh, but if a kid had died, like, you know, always in the back of your mind, they probably would have shut down if a kid had died, maybe if it was different, if it was an adult, but it was actually a child. But now having seen how the world is, you're like, no, all bets are off. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. They could have been stolen a newborn baby and eaten it, and they'd have gone, no, nah, keep the beaches open, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you two, but I've definitely got John Williams' score in my head at all times at the moment. It's just constant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. 
So was my favourite film a hit with everyone then? Yeah. yeah. It yeah, was. I would say. I will say the only thing that made me a tad bit sad is when I watched it, I saw Richard Dreyfus in a play in London once at the old Vic. And he was so bad in it, so terrible, that he had to have the prompter. And apparently, this is when I discovered he was a very cokey in the 70s. Apparently his memory had, like, is shot to pieces. He basically needed his prompter just to stand at the side of the stage next to him. And at the end... Kevin Spacey, who was at the time the head of the old Vic, came out on stage and actually apologised for how bad Richard Dreyfus was in it. Wow. I know. Um, and then the play closed, and which I just thought was a bit sad because he is a, was a fine actor and clearly age and lifestyle has overtaken his ability to do it or certainly overtaken his ability to do it on stage, which was quite sad. Um, but that story actually gets even worse because Ben Dreyfus, who's a reporter for Mother Jones and is Richard Dreyfus' son, is one of the people that made an accusation against Kevin Spacey. And that was when it happened, when the family was living in London making that play. So the whole thing is really sad and tragic. And it made me think of it when I watched that. But that was the only downside, Mick, other than that, I thought it was amazing. OK, try not to focus on that when you watch it again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll try not to. <laughs> Would you watch it again, Yosra? Yeah. Do you think you'll revisit yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. I think I'd want to watch it because I watched it on my own. I'd like to watch it with other people. I mean, that's the dream about everything right now, isn't it? I just want to do it with <laughs> yeah, other yeah, people. True, <laughs> true. But yeah, I just think it's one of those films that's really fun. Yeah, fun to watch with a group of people. So yeah, I'm definitely going to watch it again. I think I'll take something different away from it next time. Hooray! I feel, I mean, I always thought I was going to be, but I feel vindicated. So, Yosra, <laughs> you're going to pick our next film and you're going to yeah. get Hannah and I to watch your favourite film. What is it? All right, and before I even say what it is, um, I, I've changed my mind about five times during this podcast. I, I don't think you realise how difficult it is <laughs> to choose a film. Um, my long list was about 50 and then I cut it down to about 10 and then I asked my friend and they said, well, it's a film where if you ever saw it on the telly, you would every single time stop to watch all of it, which left me with about five. So, <laughs> so what I've decided is to go with my favourite film of the last five years, I think. Um, and I just think it's a masterpiece all round. Um, Barry Jenkins quickly becoming one of my favourite directors. So I, ha- I have gone for Moonlight, which I just think is... is the best film to come out in the last few years so that that is my pick for our next our next chat great Great. i have seen moonlight but i saw it on a plane so it would be nice to see it on a screen that's larger than like that (laughs) and also (laughs) then they're sometimes cut aren't they films on aeroplanes so there may well be bits that i haven't seen so i am well up for watching moonlight again and I haven't seen it, so it'll be a good voyage for me to have. I've heard so many good things about it, so I'm, I'm excited. Thanks. Oh, I hope you both like it. Well, Hannah, you've already seen it, but I hope you like yeah. it on a bigger screen. On a bigger screen, yeah. And without someone saying, would you like some small snacks while you're watching that? Although, actually, to be Why honest, if it's on my own, I'd bloody love it. I think if you're living on your own and someone suddenly offers you snacks, you'd be like, why are you in my fucking house? Get out. Standard issue for all women.